When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back for part two of the discussion of the offense against the Seattle Seahawks. Obviously, a very happy discussion. If you missed part one, why? Go back and download it. Come on. There's all kinds of great stuff in there. We're talking to Jeremy Kahn. All kinds of great futures betting strategies. Uh, we talked about the the Ravens minus six versus the Browns and which side of that he'd be on. Uh, the wisdom of a bet on Roquan or Geno Stone at 100 to 1. And... Talked a little bit about Devoa and whether or not the Ravens are are at a good price to win the Super Bowl right now relative to to Devoa. Devoa would say they have a lot better chance. And and listen to Jeremy and what he has to say on this because some very interesting stuff. Talked a little bit about Lamar Jackson's performance, and I know everybody wants to hear about that. And uh, you know, a, a good game again for Lamar, one maybe where he didn't maximize his opportunity set. And then of course, we talked a lot about Mr. Mitchell. And we'll talk about Keaton some more in part two, uh, I'm sure. But, uh, Jeremy, great to have you back. Yeah, man, good to be back. And, and I know I wanted to get in the offensive line with you because this is where I get to uh, kind of pepper some questions at you and find out what actually went on on Sunday with the offensive line. And let, let, me, let me start this off with you, with, with Ronnie Stanley, okay? Because this is a guy that we've talked about quite a bit and how important he is to the offense. Uh, what was it? Only responsible for one of the four sacks the offensive line was this past weekend. Um, that, that's actually pre- a week old. I'm sorry. That note oh, is a week old. They had one sack and he was responsible for it though. Yeah. That was a week. Okay. So yeah. let me, let me talk about the strip sack. Was that Stanley's fault when that went down? Um, and some of the missed blocks that he had kind of let me know what you were seeing there with him. Okay. So Boye Mafe is a handful, uh, a draft pick just uh, out of this year and, and uh, exciting young player that Seattle got. Uh, he had the strip sack. It was his own. It was Stanley's actually only negative play of the day, which is good, but he did get run out of two other pressures. So he got beaten by Mafe another time where Lamar evaded the pocket and, and ran for positive yardage, which was great. Um, and, and Mafe was chasing him most of that way, which was which was really fun to see, by the way. Uh, and he ran out of another pressure uh, for, a, I think it was a smaller gain, five, six yards that that uh, uh, was also positive. Those kind of plays, he gets a zero score as opposed to a negative score for it, but he does get docked pretty significantly in terms of a subjective adjustment that I add later where the, the, the system is not capturing every negative point should, should be applied. Six missed blocks. Every single one of those was a loss at the line of scrimmage. Now, losses at the line of scrimmage are really severe. That means the guy opposite you is beating you some way on the block you're trying to make. Losses that are not at the line of scrimmage fall into several categories. You can miss on a pull. That's not great, but it's but it's not necessarily terrible. You could more often miss going into level two. So you look around for a block. There's not one to be had, or you you can't quite reach somebody. That's not as bad a situation as as missing at the line of scrimmage. So six out of six losses at the line of scrimmage is bad. Um, overall deductions are not too bad. He had four blocks in level two, went four or four on his poles, which is nice. And and the Ravens still have the tackle pull a fair amount of the way they they run their offense. Two pancakes. This is the really big number that that I still gave him a little bit of his of his bonus on this for was five highlight blocks, which is the high for a Ravens player of the season. Ties the high, uh, an outstanding total. A um, lot of savvy blocks where he's blocking two guys uh, as a tackle. He doesn't get as many combination blocks as you see from an interior lineman. Those often make a, a high percentage of the highlights for interior linemen, but in his case, it's a lot of blocking two people. Sometimes on pass plays, sometimes on the backside of a run play. So. Very effective uh, doing that this game. 
B minus overall. I thought a a solid grade. He's had some very poor scoring games recently, particularly with penalties um, and some other pressure events due to slippage against the Cardinals, um, where there were more qualitative positives in the game than there were scoring positives. This game, he actually got a good score and it's uh, a good grade. And uh, it's, it's nice to see that. Nice to see him put that together in one game. Yeah, I was going to ask you about. So going back over, just looking at him, how have you felt about Ronnie Stanley through half of this season? There are some people that still believe he's playing hurt, um, not at 100 percent. But, um, you know, as you talked about, some of his games haven't been scored as well. Does he look like the left tackle that we've talked about for the Ravens for years or does he need to get better? Well, I think I think he it, it would be ideal if he played at a higher level. He can't play at the current level and and, you know, be more than a. 2024 bubble guy probably honestly he's got about an eight million dollar savings for cutting him next year there's money's gonna be tight the the big barrier that probably keeps him here is the fact that it's very expensive to get a left tackle whether you go out and find one on the open market or whether you go and find one in terms of draft capital so i don't think they'll do that you know i i think what could happen if he does not finish the year strong here they probably go and look for a late first, second round, or even a third round tackle who's a better developmental bet than, say, a, a Fa'alele was in the fourth round. And honestly, I think we're at, we're at a point where with Fa'alele, we have we can say almost with certainty that he's not going to be a left tackle in the NFL. If he, could, could he develop into being a right tackle? I think that's still possible. Could he develop okay. into being a guard? Still possible. But, uh, but it's going to take a lot to replace Ronnie Stanley when the time comes. One of the surprises coming into the season for some with Simpson – um, your thoughts on how he looked yesterday uh, in a game against Seattle that they dominated, or Sunday, excuse me. Yeah, so you know, another solid but unspectacular game from Simpson. Uh, of, he avoided penalties, which is the, that's his big demon. He had a bunch of penalties coming here, and he had a bunch of penalties early in the season. But he's had several games in a row now of not having a penalty, and I, I, I don't, I'm forgetting whether it's three or four consecutive games. I'm going to look it up real quick here. Uh, of course, I bring up the 2022 spreadsheet. <laughs> And it never fails, does it? So Simpson has had, um, yeah, no penalties since week five at Pittsburgh. So that's four straight games without a penalty. Um, he had 35 yards in penalties in that first five weeks, which is not good. Um, but but that's good. I mean, he's, he's, he's hopefully getting it turned around here. He allowed 1.5 penetrations as a run blocker. That's when he contributes to a run for loss. Um, so that's not ideal. It's not a great run blocking game. But he only had half a, a pressure that he shared when he got pancaked by Leonard Williams. Um, Leonard Williams gives a lot of people trouble, obviously a big, very big interior lineman and, and just picked up by the Seahawks this week. Simpson has a lot of troubles with balance, as I think we've talked about on air at 105.7 before, um, in terms of, of maintaining his feet. And he ends up on the ground a lot more than any other Ravens lineman at this point. Uh, so that's been an ongoing problem. Well, the one that I was really excited to talk about was Linderbaum. So we all know about – oh, good, you went – I, I just I had a little more on Simpson. I'll just okay. I'm sorry. I didn't want to move it too quick. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, you're you're doing good. Ten, he had ten missed blocks for Simpson. This game is a lot. Five of those were losses at the line of scrimmage. You know, the lower percentage of that, the better. He is obviously pulling a lot, which which uh, you know are going to be some of those losses because he's only four out of seven on his pulls. Did have seven blocks in level two, zero pancakes, three highlight combination blocks. So, so that's something at least to pull forward for a C overall. So again, solid but not spectacular. Honestly, at this point, I think if they got that level of play out of Simpson for the rest of the year, they'd probably be pretty happy with it. He's a free agent at the end of the year. He might even be a guy the Ravens can retain because I don't think he's going to be expensive. Um, if he develops, he will be. But if he if he if he doesn't go anywhere from where he is now, if he stayed at this level, I think he's very resignable. So Ken, just going back to the the miss block. Um, so when you're grading those, is it is that easier to grade than say like a, a drop pass because? You get what I'm saying? There's some gray area as far as is it catchable, is it not? Are, are missed blocks easier to tell just by looking at it? Is it, hey, that's who you're supposed to have, he got by you? Or how do you look at those things? Okay, so there's a, you've, you've hit on a couple topics here. One is assignment, which can be one of the harder things to do. But, you know, there are people who tell you you can't possibly do it because you don't know the assignment. Well, there's only a questionable assignment on maybe one or two blocks per game per player at most. Usually not even that. You know, usually what they're supposed to do is very clear from their own actions. And it's when somebody busts through a gap where there's players on either side who might have been responsible for picking up a, a, a stunter or a blitzer that that's where a nuance comes into it. But it's, it's really not as complex as people would have. you. Yeah. And in particular, I find that players 
are particularly um, hoity-toity uh, elitist in terms of their view that they're the only ones who can understand the nuance of of uh, you know who's supposed to block who or what the assignments are. And it's an elite fraternity, and you're not part of it. It's crap. I mean, I, I hate I, when they I, get I, in that. Yeah, I, I have I have blocked. I have sorry. I have scored. 100,000 run blocks over the last 20 years. You know, I can tell you there's, there's, they're, they're, it's not as complicated as you'd have, you'd have to do. But the only thing they have to do that's right on the border in terms of judgment, I don't even leave to judgment. I, I will literally time out plays to accurate to 0.03 seconds to determine if ample time and space occurs because it's 90 clicks on a 30, 30 um, frame per second 1080i broadcast. Mm-hmm. that you, you you go through so it's a, it's all that information is available to people it's it's really not as complex as all that and are, are there occasionally judgment on a miss block sure yeah there, okay. there, there are questions but uh you know it, it, uh, how, how often is it really a question if we sat down and we scored a game together i doubt that we disagree on any more than two blocks per player and uh, it doesn't mean that we that, that we'd be in any particular direction plus or minus yeah i mean these are unbiased um reviews for you i mean you're not like you know, it's not a matter of saying, oh, I'm not going to give him that one because I gave him one last week or what. You know, it's it's an unbiased view on it. So I, I think it's pretty interesting. All right. Now, I said I wanted to get the Linderbaum because uh, you, you mentioned highlight blocks. And I know for a fact that if it doesn't rank as a highlight block, I don't know what a highlight block is. That's right. <laughs> but I talked about that play on the, on the Mitchell run where he, there's no other way to put it. He went he put the women and children to bed and went hunting for supper. And then after he got some, he said, I'm still a little hungry. And he went looking for someone else, which is what you want. The only thing that could have made it better is if I remember what George Kittle and Quentin Nelson of the Colts, when they were screaming while they were blocking people and somebody's <laughs> mic picked it up, that sounded frightening. But that was an incredible play. How did Linderbaum look to you overall? Well, let's start with the highlight because it, it okay. was one of the cool plays of the season by any Ravens offensive lineman. So he got way out in front of the Mitchell run. Mitchell took a little bit of time to break tackles behind him, which was nice. That made it extra opportunity for him to get down. And he goes down and he, he absolutely annihilates Jordan Brooks, number 56, who is the guy who was drafted direct, immediately before Patrick Queen. Yeah, he game. was linked to the Ravens out Very of Texas so. Tech, right? Yeah. So. Uh, was he at Texas Tech? I'm trying to remember. I think it was at Texas I think, Tech. I think yeah. you're probably right. Yeah. But, but anyway, uh, he, he he knocked him what seemed like into next week, and somehow Jordan Brooks stumbles, keeps his feet. You know, we'd already written it down as a pancake, and I go, wait a minute, he didn't pancake him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Jordan Brooks gets up, runs down the sideline. Linderbaum finds him a second time, and he pancaked him that time for sure. <laughs> so it was it was a it was a very cool play. To definitely put him to sleep in uh, on that one. And uh, there's a there's you know. It's it's also a case where you can't judge a player by the 450 foot home run he had. You know, you have a lot of at bats as an offensive lineman, and Lindenbaum had a lot in this game, and he, it was not perfect. Um, he, he was generally pretty good, and you know, I think the, he certainly grown tremendously as a pass blocker this year. This wasn't one of his great pass block games. He had two and a half pressures he allowed, as I saw it. I'm a little different from PFF. I have a tougher standard, in particular, for keeping people out of the cone. And it has to be done for three seconds. Well, the play immediately before the touchdown pass to Beckham is a great example where I scored as a pressure. I'm sure PFF did not, um, where he was backing into Huntley. Huntley has to short arm the throw. It wasn't going to be complete anyway. He should have thrown it basically through the goalpost to make sure that that, that ball wasn't going to be intercepted. But it was a case where uh, Lindebob got a pressure uh, by my system. So he had one shared penetration on a pole. Uh, he had only three missed blocks, which is good, and and one of those was a loss of the line of scrimmage. He also came out of the game early, so they wanted to put Sam Mustafer in for nine snaps. That cut into his grade a little bit because that last drive was a really easy grading drive, a lot of run plays, tired Seattle defense, nobody really looking to penetrate. Uh, would have been a great opportunity for him to pick up a nine for nine, but uh, but he, he lost out on that. So two level two blocks, two out of four on poles, two pancakes. Uh, the incredible highlight on the Mitchell thing, which is in itself worth a little bit of a subjective adjustment there. C-plus for the game. And again, there's people who have said since since he was drafted, I've been beating on Linderbaum. I think he's made a tremendous progression this year. This is really important, by the way. PFF, by their own admission now, and I've talked to their R&D head on a, on a show that's out there from Monday, posted Monday on Pass blocking expectation. It's with Timo Riska, who's the head of R and D at PFF, <coughs> and he he talks about, um, you know, basically how 
uh, how much players get. He's got a for, for, got a got a um, and the formula is not the right word. A model for for looking at um, uh, blocks relative to expectation. And Tyler Linderbaum was near the bottom last year, and he's at the top this year, second or third among centers um, this year in terms of that. That transformation is the biggest of just about any Ravens player. And I'm including Brandon Stevens in there, um, who's is probably the other really big one. I'm trying to think if there's another another player who's taken a big step forward. But Lindbaum really did not have a very good l- rookie season because his pass blocking was so bad. But the way PFF puts together their numbers, they enormously overweight run blocking for a center. And that led people to believe that his overall grade for PFF was really reflective of what a good season he had. What Timo told me, you know, basically on Monday was you're really better off looking at the separated run and pass blocking grades and PFF is going to change their system next year. Oh, to wow. more, Yeah. To more uh, accurate effect. I've already been telling people that for years about the way he's saying, you know, the pass and run blocking games are meaningful in of themselves, but they're, but they don't, they don't do a good job of combining those. See, Ken, I use PFF uh, every week. In my, and I'm a subscriber over there mm-hmm. uh, as far as like, I like a lot of the fantasy stuff for daily fantasy. I use it for gambling, although I don't use their picks for gambling. Um, but I do like looking at some of the matchups. I think there's an inherent value in looking at quarterback wide receiver matchups and uh, different uh, adjusted things that they have on there, you know, weighted plays that you could look at that this should be a game that we see more plays. Cause for me, like pace of play is so important in games. And then also, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm a big totals guy where I'm looking for it. So something that I just keep an eye on, and I think PFF does a great job, and Timo is fantastic. So just kind of a cool note to know that they're going to switch that up for next year. Uh, yeah, you want to move on? We can, sure. No, just go ahead. You had something else? No. Oh, uh, we, right. See pause for Linderbaum. Got it. Kevin Zeitler uh, talking about his games. Had a couple of good games the past five, right? So uh, does he look like he's completely back right now? Yeah, I mean, he started off the season not looking like Kevin Zeitler, that's for sure. And for the last five games, he's looked terrific. Uh, it's interesting, in one of those games, he, he had a lot of – I scored him with a fair number of pressures, three and a half, and he had zero by PFS. So there's a, it's a lot of invasion of the cone, definitional differences. We went through this. By the way, I love PFF's product. Not only that, I really like their people, and they always respond well. So if I say, hey, hey here, here are the pressures I have scored – they give me a response to that that's very thorough in terms oh, of cool. why they didn't uh, do it that way. So I, I, I really appreciate that. I always have with them and I had a great relationship with them over the years. Uh, but Zeitler, uh, false start is only negative event for the game. He did miss six blocks, but only one of those was a loss at the line of scrimmage. He had a lot of L2 NBs, which means moves to level two and doesn't make a block. It's, a, it's just notation on our sheet. Uh, he missed two poles in the game, so that was where he picked up a couple as well. Five blocks in level two, zero pancakes, three highlight combination blocks. Interior linemen, that's where they pick up a lot of their combinations. Uh, sorry, a lot of their highlights, and Zeitler had a great game um, there as well. A after adjustment for Zeitler, right at the bottom of the A range, but still terrific. And uh, and this is now four to five excellent games. Anything else on Zeitler um, in, in the play that we've seen from the right side? Uh, just I'm very happy with where he's back to right now. Uh, you know, it's very worded early in the year because he's the North Star for this offensive line. He's the guy who's got to got to do it. And, you know, he's probably now taken over as the best offensive lineman for the year so far. Although Linderbaum was probably the guy right, you know, before this game. Now, you know, Zeitler had an A, Linderbaum was C plus. It's, it's probably switched. But uh, but Zeitler, you know, Zeitler playing well is absolutely essential for this line. Let's talk about Makari because, like, when you look at his play, Moses, the injury – um, you look at no penalties, no negative events that you had listed for him. He does seem like he's such an important piece to this team, and it, it feels weird. Anytime somebody gets hurt, you're like, please come in and help us. But he's he's multifaceted. He can do so many different things for that offensive yeah. line. Yeah, he's, it, it, versatility is outstanding. And honestly, at left tackle, he's kind of an adequate minus guy. He deals with a lot of you know shortcomings over there. He has some difficulty because pass blocking is just – it's it's – it's difficult, and uh, and he's challenged in terms of length. He's challenged in terms of of his uh, size as well. Um, but he's outstanding in this game. He, he, he filled in for Moses, who, who had been playing pretty well, and he, he delivered the first A plus of any Ravens lineman for the entire year. Let me tell you how that broke down. He did not have any negative event. You mentioned that 
He had two missed blocks the entire game. Both of those were losses in level two. Moved to level two, didn't make a block. Um, no problem on that. That's this really minor, really way to lose on a on a particular player to lose a point. Six blocks in level two, two out of two on poles, three highlight combination blocks. And uh, he gave him a 0.97 raw score. He gets a subjective adjustment of more than 0.03, which takes him up to 100 for the game. He's the first Ravens lineman this year with an A-plus and just an outstanding game at a really clutch time to do this against Seattle. Uh, you know, it's not a conference game, but it's a real litmus test of a game. And and it, it, it says, I think, a lot about how McCary can help you down the stretch uh, with the game he played. Now, you added in a lot of uh, stuff with some of the other guys, Mustafer, Kalele, Cleveland. Um, anything else you want to add with those guys uh, and how they played in the limited opportunity? Okay, Cle- Cleveland had one snap earlier in the game as a sixth offensive lineman, but all three of them played the last drive alone. And like I said, it, it was a game where the um, Seattle defense was quite tired. They all basically were perfect on that drive. I think Cleveland made eight out of nine, Falele eight out of nine, and Mustafer nine out of nine on the drive. So uh, nobody nobody had a negative event of any sort. So there's not a lot to go on, but uh, but it's nice to always pick up a few points uh, here and there when you don't play very often. And nice to see Cleveland get a little bit of playing time at right guard, um, which is always a, you know, I, I like it anytime you can take the starters out because it usually means you're winning big. Yeah. The last thing here for the O-line, just across the board, um, your thoughts overall on how they played as a group? I mean, grading uh, teams individually, but there's a lot of things to look at uh, when you look at the entire unit together. Yeah, ter- terrific game. I mean, you know, it, a lot of it shows up in in the opportunity set they provided Lamar as pass blockers. That, that's, that's number one and 50% ATS, high watermark for the year, so that's great. The other thing is how many level two first contact opportunities did they give the runners? I thought they did a fantastic job of getting Keaton Mitchell going. Yeah, he was he was caught in the backfield a couple of times or caught near the line of scrimmage a couple of times. Yeah, I guess he, I think he had a run for minus four, didn't he? And then a pass for minus four in the next play. I think that's, yeah. that's right. Um, but anyway, he he uh, when he got to level two, uh, he was able to show that power and, and, and burst and uh, elusiveness and contact balance because that offensive line got him those opportunities. And, and it's going to be very big for them the rest of the season to keep doing that because the Ravens, I think, really have something there and they need it for Edwards as well. Frankly, you need it for any, any runner. He'll, he'll, any, whoever you got at running back is, uh, you want to get those level two first contact opportunities. Yeah. Good stuff from the O line there. So look, and, and as a guy that when I look at the O line, it's really, I know when they've done bad, I always say, when I hear your name, that means you've probably done (laughs) something wrong, but as a group, um, I, I thought yesterday, I keep saying yesterday, Sunday was kind of telling with just, it, it just seemed like will they were moving guys around um, and able to do pretty much whatever they wanted as a group. Uh, and, you know, like keeping Lamar clean outside of the one play that we talked about with the strip side. All right. Okay. Well, let's talk about some individual skill position players. And, and uh, we always do this guest first, you bring up a player, talk about him, whatever you way we want to, I'll, I'll kind of respond and then I'll bring up my player. Yeah. I want to talk about Odell a little bit. So he gets in the end zone. Um, I don't know if he'd been practicing that touchdown dance for eight weeks. <laughs> As I think you pointed out, it was kind of interesting that Tyler Huntley's the guy that throws the touchdown pass to him. Or maybe that was uh, – was it you today when we were talking about that? That, that? that was an interesting thing, and I know Preston brought it up yesterday too uh, when we were talking to him. But, um, but yeah, like I still think there's something there. I, I agree with you that like he's not the player he once was. Um, ultimately, I had worried about like looking at his route running. I still think that he got some separation in this game, in my opinion, at times. But I had wondered about that. Did you notice anything in separation with him early on in the season that he wasn't getting quite the – because I think that's why we were seeing a lot of flags and maybe not the ball being tossed his way. Yeah, I I think separation has been a problem for him. He's played a lot of snaps so far this season, and the Ravens did a good job of of spreading those snaps more in yesterday's game. And there's no need to play flowers for every snap in a game like this. He's one of the guys who really should be coming out. But a guy like Bateman, who's just starting to hit his stride and really needs the reps, hasn't been getting a lot of targets, he needs to be on the field, likely needs to be on the field. A guy who doesn't need to be on the field is Odell Beckham. I just, I, I just, you know, he's, he's played a ton of snaps already this year. I kind of feel like we know who he is. I know they wanted to get him a touchdown. I heard one really, I, I hesitate even to repeat it, but one guy called it a make a wish touchdown. Yeah, I heard that too. And I just, it, when I read that, I went, oh, that was some, it stood out to me because I was like, it, I know it's, 
it doesn't feel right to say that, right? So, yeah, but cringe as you were looking at, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but you felt like they were targeting him, that the ball yeah. was going to go to him when they got down in the red zone one way or another. He gets his birthday cake after the game. He's a happy guy. And then we move on from it. Yeah. Well, he's a, he's a, I, I, I mean, I know he's a popular play on the team, so I don't really have a problem. Anything they want to scheme up in terms of getting him a touchdown here is fine. I, I do think the, the, the rest of the season that they ought to be trying to, um, give Bateman perhaps 20% of the snaps he's currently getting yeah. in addition to the snaps Bateman would normally get, uh, which would be a, a you know, a, it, to, to me, it would take advantage of, of what Bateman brings as a route runner. Beckham still needs to be a good teammate to these guys. And I know Beckham is playing for himself in a certain way, um, but it's very important that Beckham be the, the kind of route running teacher that he can be. Beckham's one of the great route runners of the last decade in the NFL. And to, to have him teach Bateman, there's even though Bateman was one of the great route runners coming out of college, it's really his calling card. There's still a lot of tricks that he can teach him. You, you just see all the penalties Bateman, uh, sorry, Beckham draws, and you know there's a lot of craftiness as a wide receiver that he can teach to a Bateman. If you can run routes and you can, like, if you can really run routes, I mean, look, anybody can go out there and run something. I'm talking crisp. I'm talking when the foot's planted. They don't know if you're going left, right. Like, all the different things that you can do. Uh, the setups for the double moves, depending on what type of receiver you are. I think that route running ultimately is the most important thing because it's one of the reasons it's why Hunter Renfro is still in this league. You know, he's his ability to run routes from the slot position and what he's done. Um, so I think that it's imperative that you get guys like that. And then you can all often teach some of the other things. And once they get comfortable in their route running, they know, then they learn that body control at the NFL level and getting the two feet down. Like I was talking about Garrett Wilson last night's game. He didn't get both feet down, but I don't think people realize how impressive it is that he almost did on a play that he had no business doing it by making his body go limp on the sideline. I always thought like A.B., Chris Carter, I mean, we can go on and on, Larry Fitzgerald, these guys that had the ability, Randy Moss was great, at toe-tapping on the sideline and getting that second foot down. We've all done it. We watch a, a catch and we're going, oh, he didn't get the second foot down. And all of a sudden in slow-mo, you see those little rubber pellets shooting up. You're like, yep. <laughs> oh, my God, he did. He got both feet down. It's it's pretty impressive. And I still think there's there's something left in the tank for Odell, but I hope the same thing you do, that he's working with those younger guys and teaching them some of the things he's learned over the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I don't know if this is the end for Odell or not. I don't know if there's another stop in his NFL career. I, I can't see a, a way he's a Raven next year with all of the UFAs they have to spend money on. Um, but he's in, in some ways done a part of his job by having, uh, Lamar sign here again. Yeah. Uh, and, and in another way, he's cost the Ravens a ton of money for next year, which is not his, that's not his fault for, <laughs> for doing that, but it sure sucks. Yeah. Of, yeah. And I'm, Just looking at it, especially too. the, you know, the other thing with this is, uh, the Deandre Hopkins basically becoming available for nothing after the fact, you know, and you just paid 15 million or you paid that big contract to Odell to bring him in to assure it. And then seeing some of the names that became available and then possibly even available during the trade deadline. Who knows what was floated out there, but teams didn't have the draft capital to go get it. Yeah. All right. Let me bring up a player. I'll, I'll leave the big one there, but let's talk about Bateman right away because he did some things in this game that were a, a little bit different. Comes back for the football very well. One thing we talked about route running a little bit when we're talking about Beckham, um, the Ravens are just starting to get with their offensive line providing more uh, three second pockets. They're starting to get to a point where they can really take advantage of good route running. And, uh, you know, Bateman is a guy who throws wiggle at the top of the route. So it's the impo- that's the important part of that for him. Uh, on the other side, Flowers, who's an incredibly sudden athlete, doesn't even need to run routes in a certain sense because any move he makes, that the cornerback overreacts to it and, and he's gone anyway in another direction. He can He can – give him a one-two very quickly and be gone to an open space on the field. He almost doesn't really have to know that he's wiggling or manipulate the cornerback in a certain way. Bateman is a, is a manipulator. Beckham is a manipulator if he's going to get separation. So the, the Ravens offense is finally in a position to take advantage of good route running. This is a time to have Bateman taken over a larger percentage of the snaps and he good comebacks. Uh, he has to also occasionally be able to catch a deep ball to make cornerbacks, opposing cornerbacks, respect the double move that that comes with that. 
Um, but he, you know, he came out of Minnesota with the with not only the reputation but the the tape to show he can run a very wide variety of routes and be effective with wiggle at the top of that route. And and he's he's a, I think he's about ready to explode in that way for the Ravens. You know, a guy he reminded me um, of coming out of college, and they went to two different schools, but both good route runners. And I feel like they can actually run the entire route tree. Like I think there's a lot you can do with Bateman. Was Reggie Wayne, who was drafted at the back end of the first round, and I know I'm comparing him to a guy that's you know a Hall of Famer. Um, or going to be a Hall of Fame, whatever. But but when you look at Reggie Wayne and his accomplishments in this league, like you could throw him the slant right off the line. You could throw him on the post corner. You could throw the double move. You could throw the hitch route, which Peyton loved throwing that to him. And I, and I think I think he encompasses all those things. And with his route running ability, he can be that type of player. Um, we just haven't seen it here yet because of injuries. And now there's a lot of mouths to feed. But, you know, ultimately, like from doing this so long and, and, and doing this in the summertime, everybody had that belief that Bateman was going to be the number one receiver and then it might be Beckham behind him. And we didn't know what we'd get from Zay Flowers right off the bat. But that hasn't been the case thus far. It's been kind of Flowers and then everyone else outside of Andrews, of course. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that's that's the important part of it is making sure that you're getting him the ball and and that he's involved in this offense because I think he's a he's a guy that can't be a home run hitter. Wayne is an excellent analogy, by the way, or an analog or whatever they think is a comparison. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, very much uh, a, a great route runner. And the Colts love those guys. And there's good reason because Peyton Manning was very much a time is running off in my head kind of quarterback who was always going to make his play from the pocket. In fact, in his last years, he almost never left the pocket, almost never scrambled at all. Um, but he, he, um, uh, Always had a great internal clock for knowing where a receiver is going to be. Didn't even have to have his back turned. He could have his back turned to the field for play action at the time. And then he'd turn around and the ball would be right where it's supposed to be. But to do that, you really have to have receivers who know how to wiggle, get free, and be in the spot that Peyton expects them to be on time. And that that takes great route running. And the, the Colts had a bunch of those guys. Marvin Harrison really fits into the same category. But you, you bring up other guys, even like Zach Pascal and some of the 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 other guys the Colts have had since the Manning era have been pretty good route runners that uh, can shake can throw a little shake at the top of the route and uh, and, and lose a, a corner. So it's it's a great analogy and there's a great reason why. I'm not sure yet that Lamar really is ideal for working with great route runners because um, he he just does not he, he's not an on schedule quarterback. He extends very naturally. He looks and he sees. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. He's and he's not not a bad. He's, he's improved his read rate, but I don't think he's a natural um, fake one, fake two throw here guy automatically that, that that has that timing built into his head. 
especially when he doesn't have his what he he's not looking directly at the action happening. I, I love what you said right there because like that's that's something that I don't think a lot of people think about when you think about what timing routes are in the NFL. You want to know where a guy's going to be with good route runners. You have an idea of where they're going to be, and it helps uh, helps you in that ball placement. Whereas Lamar has been a guy that even though the completion percentage is up, I do think he needs to be a little bit more accurate towards the receiver. Like if you throw a pass and it's caught for eight yards, if you threw it in front of him and he caught it without having to turn back and catch it, could that have been one he turned up the field for an extra three or four, maybe take it to the house, maybe, you know, whatever it could be. Um, I do think some of those things are imperative that we look at, but um, you'll find out over time the type of quarterback he's going to be. I think Zay's the perfect guy to work with him. And when you were talking about route running, it's so true because you ha- it has to be precise. It's almost like a pitcher. It has to look the same way every time because when I want to run the in instead of the out, I want that guy, I want it to look exactly the same way. Or if I'm going to do the double move and I'm running the out, now I want to be able to turn it up or, you know, in anything, a wheel route, make it look like it's a little bit different as you're sneaking out and then you're taking off. So, uh, but they do have the talent here to, to do a lot of different things in this passing game. Yeah. All right. I think it's your turn again. Oh, it's my turn to throw out a player. Well, let's go since we're, we're obviously on the offense. Let's talk about big Mark Andrews and what he's been doing. Um, you know, you, you look at a player that I think he's so important to this offense, even when he's not getting in the end zone, but a guy that should be getting attention. And again, with all the mouths that we talked about, they have to feed. It's not like if I were going to take away one thing from the Ravens, it's probably the run game. If we got away from the run game and looked at the pass, I'd want to take away Mark Andrews. Well, maybe that's not the case anymore when you watch Zay Flower. So you really have to figure out and kind of disguise some coverages against him if you want to double him. Um, but he's been he's just been an absolute monster for this team and one of the best tight ends in the league. And, and I don't think he gets enough praise for his blocking. Yeah, I, I, I probably not. Uh, you know, caught nine to ten balls in this game, and and uh, he's he has not been the yards per target threat he was early in his career. It's a natural consequence of getting more targets is you get more marginal targets, you know, more contested yeah. targets, more that are not as good. And um, the great thing about it is he, you know, Lamar has not been throwing tons of interceptions uh, in Andrews directions. I have to really look that up for this year, but he had nine a couple of years ago throwing to Andrews and the targets have just gotten way out of, out of range. Well, this year it's a lot more to flowers. You know, there's some, there's some targets, uh, target share for Beckham going out. Now we're starting to see a little bit of target share for, for Bateman coming back. Um, and, and it's, we're finally probably at a better spot where a higher percentage of Andrews targets are going to be good targets and yeah, when he sits down in space, there's there's nobody like him in terms of being able to to, to work with it. Great after the catch, uh, I, I you know I I don't think I could have projected anything better for him, even seeing his first year and how great that was because he was he set the all time Ravens records for yards per target in his first first year in 2018. <laughs> um, you know, with with eleven point oh four, and I w- I still wouldn't have projected anything better than what's happened since for him. He's Increased his volume tremendously. He's been Lamar's go-to guy. And, you know, in knowing that, you you, you have to project a lower yards per target for him. I, I'm actually, you know, I think he's a little bit better after the catch than we give him credit for, too. It always feels like, you know, if he gets time to turn and assess the field, that he's jumping over somebody, making somebody miss, running through them, and falling forward for an extra couple of yards. Yeah, so Todd Heap did a lot of that hurdling, and I think his net hurdling really hurt him. Uh, Mark Andrews is a is a safer player yeah. with the with the football after the catch here. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, talk brief. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about Mitchell. I, I keep Mitchell just a, a great game. We talked a little bit about this during the first show. We haven't really talked about him in the second, but uh, one of the greatest ever uh, yards number for nine or fewer carries. So I did, I, you know, I, I went to Stathead. Of course, I was trying all kinds of different searches for, for Mitchell in terms of, of what it does. And the really frustrating one that I can't seem to get is the first nine carries of somebody's career, what's the most yards ever accumulated? I, I'm guessing he's probably it, but I, I, <laughs> I don't know if PF Pro Football Reference has the ability to do that on their Stathead function. But what I did do is I looked at the greatest games ever with nine or fewer carries – and one thing is funny about it is it's, he's tied for the ninth ever with 138 yards. Maurice Jones-Drew had the most ever. It was an eight-carry game that he had 170 or so yards on. But uh, it, Colin Kaepernick is is in the group. And one guy who's only three yards behind is Josh Allen, who had a nine-carry, 135-yard wow. game. Yeah. So Some big quarterback it's, it's runs there. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting list because – 
They're, the top 20 contains five guys whose position no longer exists under the same name in the NFL. So really? Two guys were LHs, two guys were RHs. And I assume that's like, you know, <laughs> a left halfback, a right halfback. It probably deals with you know old box formations or something. But And one was a WB, which I assume is a wing, wing back and not wing a back. bone or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess in the old double wing and all the different uh, positions that you'd have in that one and single wing. I mean, there's a lot of ways a lot of ways to look at. It. I mean, that's just some old school football or high school and college football. Um, but yeah, you know, when you talk about Keith Mitchell, I just like I love the explosiveness. I love how you talk about him making guys miss. Um, and and again, it's that like I always felt like they needed when they had all those injuries and they went to all these old veteran running backs. I was like, ah, man, this isn't what you want. You really hope there's some young guy on your team that just kind of gets it and you get to give him an opportunity. It felt like Kansas City always had one of those guys on their team they would just throw in and he'd run for him or the old Denver scheme where it's like, oh, yeah, here's Orlando Scary. You like him? Oh, no, you don't like him? Well, well here, here's, Mike, it, it just, here's Mike Anderson or here's whoever. It's just it's kind of funny to think back about some of these guys that have been given opportunities and now like it's, it's exciting to think that Keaton, with this opportunity here that he was finally given and he made the most of it, and he could get more carries and maybe maybe become an integral part of this offense. Well, you know, there's there's one guy watching this game who probably is not too happy with the circumstances. And, and I, I'm sure he's rooting for the Ravens, and he'll get a ring if they win. But J.K. Dobbins is not very likely to be in Baltimore next year. And it became less likely with this game. Because the two guys who were signed for 2024 are Hill and Mitchell. And they're both going to be here for sure. I think the Ravens would would likely go to a power back, but uh, you know if you if you you're, if your cutback speed guy and your speed guy your cutback guy could be different different players of course, but but you're but in Mitchell's case I think he gives you a lot of what Dobbins gives you as a runner, and the, the what they would want to to complement that is is more of a pure power runner like Edwards um, that they could they could go out and get and and those guys are available at the college level. They can, they can bring in somebody new or they can resign Edwards, but I don't, I just don't see Dobbins now being resigned by the Ravens, uh, even though he could come back at a bargain price. Yeah. It just makes you wonder what could have been for him. The injury is just yeah. too much. And I, I think he was unbelievably talented. I was excited for this year. Um, but you know, and, and there were some other things too. Like <laughs> I thought Harbaugh took a couple of shots at JK in praising Keaton and the post game presser a little bit. Uh, oh, he, I didn't he, even hear that. He brought up the word humble a couple of times. Like he's very, very humble. He's very humble. And to me, it felt like he was taking a shot at JK. I don't have any inside knowledge on that, but that's what it felt like. And some of the people I've talked to felt the same way. Um, mm. But we'll see. We'll see. You know, it's it's kind of tough because he wanted to get paid. And I understand it from a running back standpoint. And I'm sure you do too. It just sucks sure. where it's at for him. But this is the game now. Like I'm not, I wouldn't pay a running back that type of money for a long-term deal. Yes, yeah, it's, it's you know he's he's got his only union to blame in terms of the CBA that was negotiated and whatnot. You know, one of the things about this is I, I think I think the C, the um, uh, owners are legitimately agnostic to where the share where the revenue goes. They don't really care if it goes to rookies, if it goes to to, to vet more veteran players. They don't really care if it goes to running backs, wide receivers, or or offensive linemen. But they're gonna they're gonna play where they think the the rules benefit you know paying those players um in, in the terms of running backs it's not anything about the usage of a running back that is minimized in terms of their value on the field because you can build a running back into your offense a lot of different ways and get value from them it's it's durability that is the big issue so if you have a fixed point at which you know players uh come off their rookie deals they're already ready for the old folks home and, mm-hmm. you know, any other position, their the offensive line, defensive line, they're often just getting started. Well, we weren't we weren't that far off from like and I, I tell you to take and, and this is the, how it how it worked out for me, because I was a big Ezekiel Elliott truther. I thought he was the best all around back in the league. Um, and when he hit the wall and I'm watching it and I'm seeing Tony Pollard run better than him and me being a, a Zeke truther, I'm going with this. Yeah, I think you got to move on from him. He just it's sad. Because he is, he was a great talent. But now, when you watch him, there's just not much there. The explosiveness leaves. The, you know, I think maybe you're running more upright. You tend to get hurt a little bit more, and you have these nagging injuries. And it's the right benchmark. Thirty. I, I wouldn't want to sign a running back on more than a one year deal unless I needed a backup or something else. A bet. Um, after the age of thirty, I just wouldn't. 
Well, you look at all the the deals that the Ravens have had for guys that were trying to make a comeback with Devonta Freeman and Le'Veon Bell and uh, Kenyon Drake and Josh Gordon, who's not been terrible, but but you know, you, 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 Latavius Murray, a, a bunch of guys coming back that that basically have not worked out. And I, I and the thought was, I think the thought was that those guys could work better with the mesh point, and there was something about the experience with them that was going to make them a better risk than younger backs. But I've much I've much more appreciated when the Ravens have gone over the young guys who are cast offs maybe attitude problems somewhere else. I mean, Alex Collins comes to mind as a guy who was in yeah. that boat. Um, you know, it, it, they, it's not like they've never got an old battle or set. We go back to Justin Forsett. He was an old back who worked out and Mark Ingram was, um, but they were both signed to pretty limited deals in terms of what they got. And uh, uh, you know, it's, it's just their, their hit rate on older running backs is clearly not good. And every time I see them sign a 28, 29 year old running back, I'm, I'm like, you know, again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can we throw another player? Sure. Uh, what about Pat Ricard? We, we saw his snaps down a little bit. Um, do you expect to see less and less of him in this offense as it moves forward, as, or is he going to be an integral part of what they do if they're going to make a run to the Super Bowl? Well, it's an interesting, interesting question because this is a game that I thought would have suited Ricard very well. They ran the ball 41 times. They were closing out the game. That's why I said you have to have Ricard on the roster. I, I you know, I do expect to see him more and not less probably in terms of, of how they do him. They used him a few times as a chip blocker in this game where he gives you some real value to help out your tackles. Uh, they used him once as a set blocker. So he he had pa- some pass blocking contributions he made as well. He did, did you know, was using the pattern three times. One of the things that is, is um, a little funny about the entire Pat Ricard situation is I think these players at the beginning of the year that the that Ravens fans are really happy to pay the money to rock. Yes. Sin. Um, and I can think of, a, you know, others Beckham, you know, my, Aguilar, nobody really seemed to mind the draft capital lost on him. And they were, you know, they might have had questions about him as a receiver, but they weren't really concerned about the sixth round pick, but you, you go through the guys they paid money to players. Don't, they don't become too concerned about that. For some reason, Ricard is a hill People want to die on either the you know the the white or black the one or zero hill on, and, love or hate him, yeah, yeah, they, they love him or hate him, and, and the truth of the matter is he's incredibly useful to Monken's offense, uh, in the not as much perhaps as he was to to Roman's offense is not as integral, but but the the Ravens need him, and I think right now you know he's still signed for another year. I guess people have kind of forgotten that, but I think they'll they're he's he'll be here next year. I like him a lot. Like again. I'm not one that I'm not the guy out here screaming, giving the ball in the short yardage situation. Oh, he's so big. He's just got to fall forward. That's not me with the talent. They have it back. Um, I'm also not the guy that's going to sit here and tell you that take him off the field. I think he's very important. Seeing what he's doing at that size with that ability. It's impressive. And no matter what, if if you're sitting there saying, all you have to do is follow Patrick Ricard. That's where the ball's going. Well, Good luck with that. (laughs) That's That's easier said than done. Yeah, uh, $4 million for next year, Ricard will make. And even though the Ravens are tight on money, I think they'll, they'll start by going back to him and saying, hey, do you want to play for three or do you want to extend and go two for six kind of thing? Um, but I think I think it's a very good chance he he stays in Baltimore and still a very productive blocker and, and uh, very important. And Keaton Mitchell's future, in part, is going to be determined by a player like Ricard or somebody else who's trying to take his place. Uh, how about we talk briefly about Likely, who got back in the offense with four targets, four catches. He's actually only not caught one ball all year that's been thrown his way. And that was that horrible drop in the Colts game, which is one of, oh, yeah. what, 10 plays that probably cost them that game. They had a lot of uh, different opportunities, a lot of individual plays in a one-score game. But, you know, as a gambler, that's where all that drama comes from, right? Yeah, that's where he went down to one knee, right, and tried to catch that yep. and dropped it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, there was some. There's been some bad ones in the league this year, um, as far as drops. And you look at receivers, and you're going, "Man, what did you see there? What happened? Did you take your eye off of it?" But that Colts game and that Steelers game still stand out in my mind. Going, what happened? What is going on with this team? But uh, but now it seems like you know figuring some things out. Um, I do like uh, like I'd like to see more of likely, but it, it, at what extent too? Because I do like the the wide receivers that they've been mixing in. Um, I thought before they made all those acquisitions of the wide receivers they're getting, we might see more double tight sets and likely maybe you could see an offense similar to what we've seen in New England or even here in years past with the double tights. But uh, 
but yeah, it's just been, it's been not as much of him as I thought. Um, I still think he's a red zone target and can be used so and such, but, uh, it's a nice little uh, luxury to have if, if something should happen to Mark Andrews. Not a wood that that doesn't happen. Yeah, that's it's 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 very important depth for that. And and you know at least he's had a he's had a reasonably good season as a receiver when he's been targeted. He hasn't been targeted enough for for my liking. But you know one of the things Monken said during an interview during camp was, you know I I, I can scheme some, and I'm paraphrasing slightly how he responded to the question, but. I can scheme to get the ball distributed to a little bit, but there's also in any sport, the guy's distributing the ball, point guard or whatever is going to distribute it to the shooter who's, who's shooting well. And so it's, it's incumbent on the players who are getting opportunities to make the most of those opportunities when they come up and that's how they earn more and, and, and whatnot. But uh, I th- it's a very honest point in terms of that. But on the other hand, Monken can do some things with scheme to get players one target and get them a chance to earn some some additional trust dollars in the Lamar Bank account that will uh, hopefully get some additional targets. I think he's done a pretty good job, by the way, with Bateman in the last few games doing exactly that. Yeah, rookie or free agent, whenever you come into a new team, if you're dropping the ball early from the quarterback, make no mistake about it. Like There are some guys that will come back to you and give you a chance, but they know what the task at hand and what they're trying to do. You drop a pass, it's very catchable. Uh, you may not get that look again, uh, being, again, a rookie or a free agent until you've developed that rapport with the quarterback. Now, I, I don't know what the relationship was between Joe Flacco and one particular receiver I'm going to mention here. But if Tandon Doss did not have pictures of Joe Flacco with some other woman or in some club <laughs> or whatever, I don't know how he got as many targets as he did. But But Flacco would continually go to him. Well, you know the story there. With Flacco picked him when they asked him who he wanted, who they wanted him to draft, and he said Tandon Doss. I didn't know there that. Were, really? Yeah, that was a, out of Indiana, right? Tandon Doss, if I remember correctly. Well, um, look it up. I think so. But they, uh, yeah, the story was that they asked Flacco which wide receiver he liked, and he said he liked Tandon Doss. So um, whether that's yeah. true or not, uh, it, you know, it's it's just something to think about. But uh, Tandon Doss, man, I haven't heard that name in years. Fifty-five targets, twenty-six receptions, career. And actually, not a terrible yards per target at seven point eight. There's been a lot of Ravens receivers that have been worse than that. But uh, I'm trying to remember the little receiver out of Utah that they had. Um, the Mike something uh, slot receiver that they, they no no not Campanero. Um, he went to Utah. It was this was years ago. Flacco Man, not, era, Bowler era. When are we talking? I think about? it may have crossed over Bowler into Flacco. What his name was Mike something wide receiver out of Utah that they drafted, but. I had high hopes for him, and he never panned out. I think always injured. Now, now I can't remember his last name. But it was Marcus Marcus Smith, but that's not who you mean. It's it's because uh, he never had a catch for the Ravens, but he drew no. a huge penalty. Yeah. Uh, here I'm going to look it up. Ravens receiver. All right. Anyway, um, I I I did set up MVPs three to one. I don't know if you want to you want to like get that ready to go, and I'll pull up some mailbag questions here. We'll, sure. We'll do those, and then we'll do the MVPs. Um, let's jump right over here. Um, we had some good ones here. Okay, here's a good one. Um, this is from Jeff Jeff B, and he has a whole lot of numbers after that, but I won't go through that. Linderbaum has had a big step forward as a pass blocker. To be, sh- I'm sorry, I, I got to go back to his question. This is my response to him. Uh, will you do a midseason review? I especially want to see this for the OL. Mostly, I want to see if you still have reservations about Linderbaum's ability in pass pro and limitations due to arm length. Okay, so Jeff, I said I would get through this, and I think I've answered a lot of this during the offensive line review in in this episode. But Linderbaum's improvement as a pass blocker is one of the, the really stark improvements on the season, and one of the reasons it's kind of hidden from fans is the fact that the the, the PFF combination of aggregating grades is it, it, it just doesn't work. So what I'd say is. Look at the pass blocking initially, and you'll see how much he's improved. I, you know, I was very happy with where Linderbaum started as a rookie, as a you know a C a C plus player. It was a it was a it was a solid year in terms of anybody's rookie year in the NFL. I was never buying into the notion that he was an instant Pro Bowler or something by his by his run blocking alone, which was very good. This year, he's actually taken a step back. In run blocking, probably a little bit of that is regression to you know being normal. Some of it also is probably that he picked up weight to be a better pass blocker. So that's worked out. And uh, I think you know his year is perhaps more exceptional by the fact that he does not have nearly as good a left guard playing next to him. 
uh, as he did with Powers. Powers, a very good pass blocker. I think he he probably helped out Linderbaum some as a rookie. This year, less so uh, from Simpson. And uh, I, I think his his improvement is really stark in terms of what he's done as a as a pass blocker. And uh, you know, I don't think you could ask for more of a, a improvement between year one and year two. So you still go back to the move that they made, great move uh, to acquire the first round pick at Linderbaum. Um, it was, that was right a fantastic now. trade. I mean, in terms of, of the value acquired for Marquise Brown. Are, does you think anybody in Baltimore really misses Marquise Brown right now? No, but people were upset because you, you well, after the fact, now knowing what you got, but when once they trade him, it's like, well, who's going to play wide receiver? And, you know, you, you've got this situation. You just gave him away, and now, now you're taking a center? Oh, my God, a center. Wow, it's yeah. the unsexy picks that people don't realize really matter to the success of these teams. Yeah. I actually, I actually wanted them to take a corner there. Uh, and, and they, uh, you know, get a center later because there's a lot of guys who had center. But the center I wanted was Zach Tom, and he didn't go until the fifth round. And the the corner I wanted though was Kyir Elam. So if they drafted him, he's he's really <laughs> sucked for the. He's he's been as bad as Jalen Armour Davis, frankly. Um, oh, really? But Zach Tom has been fantastic, and he's played tackle for the Packers now, and, and is really playing very well. So you, you give you, you give you get in terms of that. Uh, let's see what, okay. Here's a good one. Garnett West, friend of the show at Garnett 478, uh, Semper Fi, a long time Marine there. Um, what is your opinion now when it comes to the bootleg with Jackson turning his back on the defense after witnessing it for half a season? Okay. So this is a comment I made in the past about, um, having difficulty Jackson having difficulty reacquiring the field. He's had some good good boots. There's no doubt about it. I think that Monken has probably provided a little better boot scheme for Lamar because most of what they did on the boot with Roman was zone block left, naked boot right. We, we even have ZBL NBR. It goes immediately on our score sheet when we see this play develop. And it's so common that what it means is the, the, the right-handed quarterback rolling to the right is the natural side to them to throw from, rolling the left much harder. So it's so while you do sometimes see zone block right naked boot left, it's much rarer. But the, the the play is so well understood in terms of what the dance steps are. The defenses recognize it too. The Ravens have an additional component that that backside edge defender is too much on Lamar as a mobile quarterback. If you had Joe Flacco doing that boot, you succeed a higher percentage of the time because Joe Flacco is not a real big threat to, to leave the pocket. But that backside edge defender knows I'm responsible for Lamar. And that thing, in the same way that Homer Simpson is always thinking, eat the pudding, eat the pudding, eat the pudding. Yeah. You, you know, he can't get that out of his head. So when the guy rolls right, he's right yeah. on him. So. That's good stuff. Yeah, I mean, I always I, I like hearing the breakdown of those things, too, with you know, the different types of quarterbacks we're seeing now in the league where you're going to get more quarterbacks uh, plays designed to roll the pocket at times. But ultimately, I think teams are hoping that you stay in that pocket and make some plays eventually. But um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting take to kind of hear some of those things and how things work out. Anyway, I, I will finish the point here real quickly is that the the boot they ran in the last game, they didn't try and do a zone block play. They, they made it look like a gap play. And he he rolled out, and it, it looked like he got an extra split second to throw that bar to Lamar. Uh, and I know uh, Sip to Tally films, uh, Coach Evans, uh, is, by the way, great material there from Coach. Uh, we want to have him back on this show when we get an opportunity, but he, he puts out some great videos himself. Um, pointed out that the spacing was not great. And I think that's part of the way the play kind of worked after I thought about it a little bit is they're so used to normal spacing being at three levels on the boot play that when you show them something different and a gap run scheme, what looks like a gap run um, in front of that, then it makes the boot not look, it's, it's not as that edge defender is not as keyed up for the boot. I think he got a little extra time. I think the ball went to Mark Andrews on the play for, you know, eight or 10 yard gain. It was a, it was a nice little play that, uh, that worked out, but uh, yeah, Garnett to just answer your question. I think it's, I think the scheme has done more for Lamar uh, this year in terms of boot plays. By the way, it was David Reed was the wide receiver out of Utah. Oh, there you go. Played with yeah. Flacco. He was drafted the year after Flacco was drafted, I believe, if I had my years correct. But that was the name I was thinking of. I couldn't think – well, I couldn't think of the name, but, yeah, that's the guy. So David Reed hardly was on the field at all. But one of his things in the 2011 game at the Steelers when they came back to win on Torrey Smith's catch where Torrey Smith you know, didn't drop it, but he didn't make a catch on the left side of the end zone. Then he caught it, of course, to, with eight seconds left or whatever it was to win the game. David Reed, I think, got the opportunity before that. Flacco threw one into the end zone for him. 
that was just overthrown and uh, you know unfortunate. But he, he got some big opportunities for the Ravens for what he did on the field as a receiver. Well, that's what I was saying. Like I, I thought he was one of those guys that kind of got thrust into a situation and would have had opportunities that he played well, and he we didn't. The numbers weren't there. Uh, how many? I'm looking at how many targets he had as uh, for the Ravens. He's mostly a kick returner. He had 12 total targets in his Ravens career. I'm sorry, nine total targets in his Ravens career. Uh, so that that 2011 target I'm talking about in the end zone was either the second or third target of his entire career with the Ravens. Wow. So. And by the way, he was in the draft with Sergio Kendall, Terrence Cody, that was Ed Dixon, Dennis Pitta, yeah. Arthur Jones, and Ramon Harrowood. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really bad draft, honestly. But uh, <laughs> uh, you, you you don't have a hundred percent, no matter who you are. All right, we ready to talk about some MVPs here? Sure, let's do it. We'll go three to one, and since it will be less likely that I'll steal your guy, you go ahead with your number three guy. Uh, my number three. Uh, we're just talking Ravens here, right? Yep. Ravens and, and offense only, not defense. Yes, yes, of course. So my number three, uh, I put it in, and um, I'm going to give it to Gus because I think Gus has been inherently important to the offense. Um, you know, the getting in the end zone. And again, if you're looking at it or if we're just going from this game, there'll be some easy ones to pick. But uh, but again, I, I think Gus has been inherently important to the offense and having a nose for the end zone. We want to look back at this game. It's it was important. Wouldn't disagree with that. Not even for a second. That's a great pick. Um, my number three guy is Lamar. And this was not Lamar's greatest game throwing the ball. He still had the high completion percentage. Didn't make the most out of his opportunity set, but what he did do for the first time in a few weeks was really run the ball effectively. And that was nice to see. I thought Seattle um, was not good at keeping him in the pocket. They didn't spy him effectively in this game. So it ended up with with uh, him getting free and and uh, having some key runs in this game, uh, even when they got pressure occasionally. So Boye Mafe was chasing him all the way down the field on one of those, and it was nice to see. But uh, he's my number three guy this week. My number two, I know you won't have him. I'm going to give it to Odell Beckham. Finally getting into the end zone. He had that dance ready. God knows he's been practicing every night before the game. Um, But, look, we get past that now, right? He finally got his touchdown on his birthday. It's great. Um, I I thought overall, though, going from last game where it feels like he's he had – I'm sure he doesn't feel like he's contributing. Making a play and getting in the end zone helped him out. So I'll give it to Odell. Okay, fair enough. My number two guy is Patrick McCary. Uh, first A-plus for any lineman. Actually, very tough choice between him and the number one guy, uh, who we can, I guess we can both probably guess we have the same guy. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's kind of tough to get away from him, and he wowed everyone, but Keaton Mitchell has to be the guy. And you know me, I can't give an MVP to an offensive lineman. If I didn't hear your name, thanks a lot. But, uh, <laughs> but for me, it's all skill position players. I, I just love the way he, run, he ran the football and on top of it, like, I just think it's such a great story and knowing that dad was there and hearing about the family and um, all these things. And once I find that text chain, I'll, I'll make sure I send it to you. But uh, but he was just incredible. And I'm sure you can talk to just breaking it down of what he actually looked like, the missed tackles and everything else. I'm just talking visually. It was pretty stunning to see the long 60-yarder and then that 40-yard touchdown. Line. All right. Well, I'll tell you, uh, not just for Keaton, and this is his time. Keaton is going to be a tremendous part of this Ravens team for a long time. Anthony Mitchell, his career a little bit less known, but uh, he was a hell of a ball player. Great dime back for the Ravens the season after the Super Bowl in 2001 and also in 2002 again. He uh, he played some great football for the Ravens. I think he actually was a, was a starting safety in 2002, but a dime back in 2001. Uh, still want to talk to him uh, on the show about the long uh, touchdown return and that play and and the experience that he had in Tennessee because uh, it was one of my best days ever as a fan and, and certainly the best until the Mile High Miracle came along. But uh, uh, outrageous, outrageous play. And uh, and it looks like you're – I'm sure you're very proud right now if you're out there and and uh, with what your son is doing. Can you keep bringing up that Mile High Miracle? Like it means the same thing to me as it does to you. Um <laughs> No, I'm a Peyton Manning guy, so I had You're different – I was pulling for the Ravens once they won that game. Um, okay. But I just want to see Peyton win another one, and he eventually got there, but he didn't look like himself. He looked like old noodle arm at that point in time. There, that, That's exactly who he was. Even in that 2012 game, uh, you know, in, in the playoffs, uh, they had all the things about him dipping his hand in an ice pocket to prepare for that game, but he didn't look like he had much on the football. No, no, there was no zip. 
All right. Outstanding. Jeremy, just a pleasure to talk football with you. Thank you for spending a couple hours with me. Tell folks where they can find your website and yeah. talk to you, talk football online. Yeah, my, my, my website's concretelocks.com. It's two ends. Uh, my gambling website, we sell picks, again, under 30 cents a day. Check it out. You can cancel it anytime if you want to try it out. I give out free picks, and I also have a YouTube uh, podcast that I do on a daily basis on gambling. You can just search Concrete Locks and it'll pop up. Or check on my Twitter feed, at Sports. Appreciate you having me, Ken. Like I said, anytime you need me, man, I, I love talking this. I love chopping it up with you. It's been a lot of fun. Okay, Ab- absolutely love it. I will take you up on that. Other folks out there who would like to be on a film study short, hit me up. Uh, DMs are always open on Twitter. You you know the rules by the, by this point. And uh, please uh, hit me up with a nice short topic, and I'll get back to you very quickly to talk about the possibility of that being a show. Jeremy, thanks again for coming on. Anytime. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.